Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. For this weekend, we have Bob Irving from Calgary previewing the Stamps and Blue Bombers. Also, Murata Tesh of The Athletic and I try to break down what's going wrong with the Winnipeg Jets. And finally, Les Lazarick, the voice of the Saskatoon Blades in town to call the Blades at Winnipeg Ice, also a former CGOB employee. So we chat about him coming back to Winnipeg and why he enjoys junior hockey so much on the podcast. We're joined from Calgary by the one and only Bob Irving. Bob, how are you doing tonight? Good, Christian. How are you? I am doing well. Y'all ready to call a big game tomorrow? I sure am. Uh, I've done a lot of the the pre uh, pre work that I do, and I'll I'll do some more tonight and and tomorrow. But I'm ready. Yeah, these games are exciting, Christian, as you well know. They're exciting for the broadcasters and and the reporters and the fans and everybody that uh, watches the Canadian Football League. And I don't remember the last time Winnipeg and Calgary were this close to the top of the West Division standings this late in the year because so often in the last decade, the Stampeders have you know been kind of running away with things at this point in the year. The last six seasons, they've won at least 13 regular season games. So that tells you they're often home and cooled out uh, by this time of the year. But uh, no, this one has great ramifications, and so does the one the following Friday in Winnipeg, which will be the Bombers' final game of the season. And Calgary will have one more after that one. So regardless of what happens tomorrow, and it's obviously critically important for the Bombers to win if they hope to have a home playoff game, but regardless of what happens, that game back in Winnipeg will still have you know some importance in terms of how these final standings shake down. But fair to say that next Friday's game matters a lot more if Winnipeg wins tomorrow? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Then the Bombers can, if they win that game next Friday, they can pretty much wrap up a home playoff game. So yeah, there's uh, no doubt about that. Either way, it'll matter, but it will matter more uh, to the Bombers in terms of their final position in the standings if they can win tomorrow night. Now you've gone to Calgary every single year and you've called a lot of Stampeder victories over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What has to happen tomorrow to make the final score a different story for Winnipeg well it would help I think if Bo Levi Mitchell got hit by a truck on the way to the game but I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen Christian and I don't mean to be great oh, but uh, he's you know Bo Levi is is a difference maker in my view he's the best quarterback in the league and you know I can remember so many games year after year where he is largely the difference so the Bombers have to find a way to kind of neutralize him in some fashion, make him less effective than he normally is. And that's easier said than done. You got to pressure him and you got to get to him if you pressure him. And if you don't get to him, uh, you know, he's got receivers who he'll find because he's just that good. So, you know, getting under his skin and, and trying to throw him off his game, I think is always goal number one for every team that plays Calgary. And then the bomber offense has to be, they have to be good. You know, remember the Western final last year, their defense played very well. Yeah. They played very well. They had they had bowl off balance for much of that game, Christian. But the offense couldn't respond in kind. And so you you know, you can't beat Calgary by scoring, I don't think, uh ten or twelve points. You're gonna have to score at least twenty. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do that in the West final last year, so they're gonna and Calgary's defense is good again in their last six games. 
they've given up 109 points, which is what just about 17 a game, 17 or 18 a game. So they're playing really, really well on defense. So uh, Chris Trevler and, and the gang are going to have to, you know, plow down that field and hold on to the ball and make some things happen. Now, the fact that Bo Levi was not at quarterback the last time these two teams met, is there as much then that the Bobbers can glean from that game? Because it was August 8th. It was two and a half months ago. Both teams are different. And yeah, Bo Levi, obviously a huge difference maker. Well, that's right. I mean, he is a difference maker. And that's the biggest difference, I think, between then and now. The the other thing in that game is Janarian Grant had two kick return touchdowns. And, you you know, you're not going to get those very often he's got three on the season now and he had two in that game it was his first game with the blue bombers and calgary normally has very good special teams so i think that was kind of a one-off at least the stampeders would see it that way so you know the bombers won that game basically with those special teams plays uh but uh, i don't think they can they'll have to play good on special teams obviously but i don't think they can count on that winning them the game they're going to have to you know be better in in be solid in in all areas. And last week when they beat Montreal, Christian, they forced, what, five turnovers. Right. And I, I don't think you can beat Calgary um, here in particular unless you force some turnovers. If you can't get any turnovers off them, man, it is tough. So the last two games, the Bombers' defense has looked a lot better than what happened against Hamilton, especially against what happened to Montreal in Montreal. Yeah. Brandon Alexander returning and going to safety is a big part of that. Is this now just because they played a Montreal team that was maybe not as good as we thought on the road, or is it actually for real and this defense is back to what made them so good earlier in the season? Yeah, I think they're back. Remember, their their big meltdown was against Montreal a, a few weeks ago, and it played well in Regina uh, the week before the, the game last week against Montreal. They were solid again. You know, I, I never, ever felt that the defense wasn't still good you know they they just had a couple of clunkers and they've got good people they'll get good pressure up front tomorrow their d-line is really good their linebackers are good adam big hill's coming off one of his better games of the year he had nine tackles last week i think the secondary you mentioned brandon alexander has really been you know solidified with him at safety uh, and the physical presence that he brings. And Nick Taylor was very solid at halfback uh, last week. So, no, I think their defense is, is good. I think they've been good all year, except for those two games where, you know, they were off. And that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think defensively they're in good they're in good shape. But ultimately, everything probably comes down to the play of Chris Trevler. He's the ultimate X factor to what could or could go wrong wrong to Winnipeg's hopes tomorrow if he's great and doesn't make mistakes they've got a lot of better chance to win so what has been done to help him in maybe the week leading up to this to change how he maybe views of those big plays in the red zone because he's made so many turnovers in the scoring zone the last two games yeah I think that's just a learning process I really do you know in that game against Montreal he probably made two really bad decisions and I know Paul Apolice defended the first pick uh, and said it wasn't a bad decision. He just didn't put enough air under the ball. Uh, but when you're in scoring territory, I don't think you take that chance, basically. You just don't throw that pass. So I think it's all part of a, a learning curve for a young quarterback. And Chris is a smart guy. I think he's a good study, and I expect he will learn from that. I'd be surprised if he didn't. Uh, so I think that's really all it comes down to. The Bombers have to be patient with him, and I know – you know, fans will go, well, then why don't they play Kolaris? No, no, this, this is the guy here who 
who is going to either take them where they want to go or, or they're not going to get there. And uh, I, you know, I just think if you're the coaches of the Bombers and, and the rest of the players, you just have to hope that Chris Trevler learns from these things and doesn't make the same mistakes again. Now, what kind of challenge does Calgary's defense then pose to Strevler as he continues to learn? Well, their defense plays the same way all the time. They don't blitz a lot, uh, but they like to keep everything in front of them. In other words, you won't beat them with a deep pass very often. You're going to have to kind of nickel and dime them, and then that's what they want you to do because they tackle so well, and they'll, you know, they'll hold you to short games and get you off the field. But they have to run the ball. Christian, if the Bombers can't run the ball the way their offense is set up now with Chris Trevor at quarterback, it just heightens the challenge, and it's very, very difficult. They had, what, 240 yards rushing against Montreal. They won't have that tomorrow, or we'll really have ourselves a story. Uh, But the last game they played against Calgary, Andrew Harris ran for 100 yards, and uh, he's been very good his last three games against Calgary. So it all starts with the run. If they can run the ball, make some first downs, uh, that's going to stand them in great stead. One of the criticisms, and I'll get you out of here on this, Bob, of maybe the offense the last couple games that they weren't winning was they seemed to lose that dynamic feel to the play calling with Chris Strebler's ability to uh, be a threat. You know, Doug Brown openly called for the end of the screen pass, the wide receiver screen pass. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you feel like the play calling got back to that more unpredictable nature last week? Well, the play calling worked, and I agree with that. They had uh, Dave Dickinson, the coach of the Stampeders, was talking today about all the misdirections that the Bombers run, and they were they were back, you know, on the beam doing that against Montreal last week. They had some design runs for Chris Trevor. He didn't scramble and run very often. A lot of the runs he had were were designed runs, uh, and I thought they, you know, they had some good slant patterns and you know short throws and those kind of things that that are really tough to defend. They had them working for them, and I'm with Doug on that uh, wide receiver screen. It was a disaster in the Saskatchewan game, although the Bombers would argue that, uh, you know, if the people out there make their box right and everything else, those plays could work, and sure they can, but they have not been working lately. So, no, I, I think you've got to run it. You've got to have quick passes, short passes. You know, they like the word, the use the word execute, and I know those of us in the media, and I'm sure a lot of the fans get tired of it, well, if we execute, but it's true. You know, if if uh, Strebler's accurate with his passes and the receivers run the proper routes, uh, you know that's that's when things work. And so, yeah, I think you'll see them get away from the, the wide receiver screens. And and Paul Eppley's going to have to come up with some, you know, some misdirection stuff that keeps Calgary a little off balance. And that, that's a big challenge against that Calgary defense. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it all shakes down tomorrow. Well, Bob, appreciate your time as always, and have fun on the call tomorrow. I will always do, Christian. Thanks. All right. We are welcomed on the CGB Sports Drive by Murata Tesh. He is an, well, he's a writer for The Athletic, covers the Winnipeg Jets. And it's been a while, Murat, but uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, glad to be back, Christian. How are you? Doing well. Uh, doing better than the Winnipeg Jets are right now. They are four and five to start the season. But uh, before we get to all the, I guess, I don't know if it's panic yet, but we knew that there were issues with this team and we've kind of seen the issues that we thought they'd have so far through nine games, right? Yeah, absolutely. You could sit in the summertime and look at the Winnipeg Jets on paper. And even though Cal Connor and Patrick Liney weren't signed yet, and there was the bustling question mark, you could look and see and, and estimate that 
this was going to be a team that would score goals just fine. Its offensive players would be good. And then the defensive situation was going to be an issue for, for the Winnipeg Jets. Add Bufflin's question to that and have him sit out uh, as long as he has and, and certainly for the foreseeable future, if not more. Uh, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, the, the Jets can make whatever adjustments that they like defensively when things get into their own zone. It's still going to be quite a bit of a challenge for them. Does the return of Dustin Bufflin, if he does return, that doesn't solve everything, right? <laughs> everything? No, uh, definitely not. And even down the stretch of last season uh, with Bufflin, with Truba, Myers, Tarot, and, and last year's defense core, uh, there were some issues. And the, the metrics for the Winnipeg Jets defense just down the stretch run uh, as the team was struggling fell to sort of bottom 10 in the league. I think they were much better than that on the whole overall uh, last season. And, and Dustin Bufflin would immediately be a huge boost to the blue line this year. Uh, the, the key thing that he does, other than um, push the puck off ice, lay the body, protect the front of the net, win battles in the corner, add offense to the power play, is he stabilizes the pairing. You can immediately plunk him in the, the top pair or the second pairing, and uh, a healthy and happy Bufflin will, will make results out of that. He's still that good at this stage of his career, uh, and that would be a major impact. It doesn't fix every single thing that ails the Winnipeg Jets, but I would sort of bump their projection across the playoff bubble if he came back at his peak. From a Jets penalty kill standpoint, the good is that they've only taken 16 penalties through nine games, been shorthanded 16 times. That is really good, very good discipline, but they've allowed seven goals in those 16 opportunities. What do they have to do to fix that? Well, according to Blake Wheeler after the game uh, earlier this week, they need to rebuild. Uh, they, they need to start from the ground up, and it's something that the team's acknowledged has not been a strength for them, and uh, that calling uh, Paul Maurice called the performance very much under his breath equal to the previous game, by which he meant bad. Um, and there was a time with the Winnipeg Jets penalty kill, I'm going to say two seasons ago, where getting a seam pass across these guys because of how passive they were and how well positioned they were in the middle of the ice was almost impossible. They got passed around at the top. You'd get these passes uh, from the top of the point to the top of the circle, and there are tons of one-timer availabilities there. Uh, Connor Hellebuck was making most of the saves at that time, and the PK finished very high in the, in the league standings. Uh, and then from that moment to now, uh, as, as teams have sort of begun to pick it apart, plus the uh, personnel issues of losing Brandon Tanev, perhaps Matt Hendricks, but uh, also the fact that Gabriel Bork and Mark Letesti weren't uh, didn't come in and immediately deliver results either, all of a sudden, uh, it, it seems like the, the plan has been a bit confused. And when Mark Scheifele, your, your franchise centerman and a historically good penalty killer, even though they don't use him too, too much, um, is exposed by uh, overcommitting to the slot pass uh, on Anthony Beauvillier last night um, and, uh, and then leaving a lane open that goes across to Matt Barzel for, for the free shot that goes through the seam. And now Connor Halbuck's got a tougher post-to-post cross-ice pass the track. That's an issue when your best players are making those reads and mistakes uh, so all of this to say that I, I believe that the Jets PK is going to continue to struggle uh, it, it's been an issue throughout the beginning of the season if they're talking about rebuilding it well even if they come up with a great idea it's going to take a little bit of time to, to implement it so this is definitely a trouble spot for the Jets
how important is shot blocking as part of that? Because Paul Maurice mentioned it, he even uh, name checked you in a scrum a couple of days ago about <laughs> the, the numbers for shot blocks. But is that truly uh, a, very important for them to get out of this? I think on the penalty kill, that that level of commitment is is necessary. And every shot is a dangerous shot on the penalty kill, not just for its initial opportunity, but for the rebounds where you're, you're probably going to be outnumbered in your in your fight for that. It's also a signal for, for one of these guys to the next that they're in it and they're in the battle and they're sort of laying the body in the sort of Brandon Tanev-esque style that he became so loved for in Winnipeg. Um, I'm not sure that's the only thing because blocking a shot doesn't get in the way of a pass so good across to Barzell like the Islanders' first goal, uh, but it's one of the, the many aspects. And then the other feature of that is that at 5-on-5, five five, yes, blocking shots is good, but the league leaders and shot blocks are not typically playoff teams because the league leaders and shot blocks don't usually have the puck. And so while, yes, the, the Jets should absolutely block whatever shots they can, don't look for them to skyrocket towards the top of the league charts and associate that with winning necessarily. The fact that the Jets have lost nine of the last 10 at home dating back to last season, including the playoffs, is that a coincidence or is it a sign that something is wrong with how they prepare for home games? You know, uh, I think it's just a symptom of a team that's struggling. And, uh, you know, the distribution of home wins and road wins and all of that sort of stuff, I don't read too, too much into it personally. And um, perhaps there is something to it. Perhaps uh, we've talked a lot about it, or at least the questions have started to come out. And I've seen it in my Twitter mentions and uh, on the comments at The Athletic. Sometimes people are asking about the fact that they're not selling out necessarily. There was the non-sellout and then there were empty seats uh, against the Islanders again. Does any of this stuff matter uh, in terms of the on-ice play? I- I'm not sure. Uh, if you're not good enough to dominate the league, well, then you're going to li- lose some games and you're going to lose some of them at home. And uh, while I'm sure it's important to the team to turn that record around, uh, I, I personally don't see too much into it. Okay. So let's, we've talked a lot about negatives. Let's talk about bright spots. Who stood out for you so far through nine games? Uh, Patrick Line would be a really good example of a, of a player who's taken a step ahead in his game so far this season. And it wasn't just alongside Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. Uh, starting right from the get-go with Andrew Kopp, we've seen a, a Patrick Line who tracks back and gets into the neutral zone and challenges the other team's breakout. He's turning pucks over in a positive way, winning those pucks and sending them back into the other end of the rink uh, more often than not. Certainly still some puck issues at the line and stuff like this. Uh, but it's been, in terms of puck possession, a major step ahead for him. All of those assists have got to be candy to a lot of Jets fans' eyes. The guy can shoot, the guy can set plays up as well. And that Mark Shifley pass across to him uh, that just fooled so many defenses on the one-timer goal. Uh, that shows a little bit of chemistry between those two players building as well. I think that that's a player that's that's really stepped forward. And I'll throw Connor Hellebuck into that as well. And that was a question mark, especially after opening nights and the way that the season started. All of a sudden, Laurent Brassois is getting back-to-back starts. But look at Connor Hellebuck's numbers since then. He's pushed way, way above the 900s and the 930s, 970s in terms of some of his game-by-game save percentages. And he's keeping this team in it, which is exactly what it needs given the state of the defense. Now, speaking of defense, 18-year-old Ville Hanela was not projected to be in this lineup two months ago, yet he's already played a handful of games. Do you think he's availed himself well for an 18-year-old? <laughs> good point. Good, a uh, good name to add to that. Absolutely. Uh, there are certain things that he does. Even though he's he's undersized. He's young. This is his first NHL stretch. Uh, but in terms of his puck movement, the passes that he makes, some of the reads that he makes, 
the timing of his passes, his confidence offensively, um, how much you might trust him to go back into his own zone and make the right pass if he comes up with possession. Those things are easily within the top two or three amongst Winnipeg Jets defensemen already. Uh, and then it's just a, a question of his ability to survive the battles. And uh, he's given up a, a fair bit of entries at the blue line. He's challenging them all, doing what his coaches say. Uh, and that's an impressive thing, showing his hockey IQ, how many entries he challenges at his own blue line. Uh, but he's been outmuscled in some of those, and he gives up a lot of entries. And uh, you, you might not trust him in a corner battle uh, quite yet. So um, all the say, the, the, the total package of this player is exceptional. And I think long-term, it's going to show to be an excellent pick for the Winnipeg Jets and already is based on what we've seen from him so far. Well, Murata, I appreciate your time tonight, and we'll uh, catch up with you uh, later in the season. Christian, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Have a great night. Now, this weekend, the Winnipeg Ice hosts the Saskatoon Blades. Saturday and Sunday at Wayne Fleming Arena, 7.30 p.m. starts for both. The voice of the Blades is Les Lazarus, who used to work here at CJOB. And Les stopped by the studio to chat with me earlier today. Welcome to Winnipeg. Yeah, welcome back, yeah, <laughs> yeah. actually. Thanks, Scott. When was the last time you were back here? Uh, well, actually, I do come back quite often to visit family. I've still got a couple of sisters here, and uh, we visit with them almost every summer we'll come back. So it's uh, it's nice to come back, but I haven't been here quite a while, and I haven't had a chance to tour around and see some of the uh, old haunts, as it were, yeah. like like Bell MTS Center I was at last night for the Jets game. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's nice to come back and see some people that I haven't seen in quite a while. Right. So now that Winnipeg is part of the WHL, this will be a regular trip for you. There'll be at least three a year. Yeah. Uh, this one, no, we're going to get two games in out of the way on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, there'll be another trip in in March, part of a Brandon Winnipeg uh, tour for the Blades. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's nice to come back home every once in a while, and uh, I think it's kind of neat to, to go back and actually go to the uh, Wayne Fleming Arena yeah. at the U of M campus, because back when I went to university at the U of M, and I shudder to say that it's 40 years ago, that building was just being built. Okay. I remember Bison Gardens out on the campus. That's how long ago that is. That's not even there anymore, I don't believe. <laughs> they probably tore that down a long, long time ago. <laughs> what do you think of Winnipeg being in the WHL now? Well, I think it's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that the, that the city got the team. I think it's long overdue, to tell the truth. Uh, I know it's had its issues back in the 70s and 80s trying to compete with the WHA Jets and then the initial Jets 1.0 in, right. the, in, the 80, in the early 80s. But a lot of that was due to obviously having some really good teams in the WHA and then the NHL being just the NHL. And there was the novelty of that, Christian, that I think that was such a such a big deal for Winnipeggers back in that time that major junior hockey kind of got left to the side and was almost a forgotten child. Uh, now that it's been 35 years, there's so much hockey that goes on around here. This is such a hockey city that you have, I think, a niche audience available to Major Junior. The key thing that I think they have to do, and whether they do it or not, I, it's not up to me to be in Greg Fettis' back pocket or in uh, or in Matt Cockle's back pocket and say, this is what you should be doing. But I really think that if you price it properly, make it available to kids, and especially time the games out so that children can come and not be you know, past bedtimes, that sort of a thing. Right. Uh, I think you can make a good go of it here. I think there really is a niche audience for major junior hockey to be found in this city. How long have you been calling junior? Uh, well, it's been ever since I left uh, Winnipeg in 1994. So this is my 26th season. I guess I'm coming up on 1,900 games. Uh, it's, it's a bit, yeah. <laughs> what do you love most about it? Uh, just the fact that it's you're seeing the stars of tomorrow today. 
uh, kid that we're waiting on with the Blades right now to come back to the team is Kirby Dock, who was the third overall pick in this past June's entry draft in the NHL by the Chicago Blackhawks. He's still with the Blackhawks organization. He'd be a huge return for the Blades if he comes back. If that's mm-hmm. a big if, yeah. uh, but those are the sorts of people that I mean, I can think back to players like Rhett Warner uh, in my first year that was a member of the Blades uh, to Braden Holtby uh, to Devin Setaguchi, who played here for the Jets at one time. Uh, there's all kinds of them that, that have come through Saskatoon and even in the teams you play against. You think of a right. Jordan Everly, who was a star with the Regina Pats, uh, we'll go way back to Kamloops and uh, you know, Jerome McGinley. Darcy Tucker were big time stars with the Blazers, and the Blades would play them, you know, twice a year back then. And uh, those are the guys when you see them and you think to yourself, "I remember when." Uh, right. I mean, I get all warm and fuzzy about little nostalgic things like that. I guess. How's the team look this year? Blades are doing okay. Uh, they're not a team that's got a lot of scoring, unfortunately, right now. But they have a, a decent record to start: seven wins, four losses, and an extra time loss. They started off one and three. And that included a 7-6 loss at home to the ice in a game that was so unlike what the games have been like this season. The first 10 Blades games were all one-goal hockey games, one-goal margins. and Including against Winnipeg. Including against Winnipeg. Uh, but then all of a sudden they went into Calgary on Monday and just absolutely demolished the Hitman 9-3, which surprised me. <laughs> and then lost in Medicine Hat 3-1 to on Tuesday night. So that's where we're at through 12 games. Uh, they're supposed to be a team that is supposed to contend. Well, they were ranked. Yeah. Or, does that, I, I, or do you put much weight in that? No, I don't put any weight in that because I think the the ranking was based on the fact that, oh, Kirby Doc's on their roster. Right. Well, yeah, he's supposed to be, but he wasn't at the time. And right. without him, they're they're missing a key component to their offense. I think when he comes back, they have a chance to be in the top 10 in the CHL. But for now, they're a, a, a lunch pail group that has to buy into a system, that has to buy into the structure of head coach Mitch Love. And for the most part, they've done that. And when they play a tight, low-scoring defensive game, they've got the goaltending and the defense with which to win the majority of those battles. And that's what's happened so far. And what's your scouting report on the ice? Well, the Ice, I think, are a team that's on the rise, I, I believe. Um, to me, uh, you've, they've improved themselves with their imports. Uh, Nino Kinder uh, had a hat-trick against uh, Saskatoon. Unfortunately for him in the Ice, that's the only three goals he scored. But he could break out at any time. I think he's got that ability. Michael Tepley, being a draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, looks like he can play. Looks like he's the real deal. Uh, Connor McLennan is going to be a good player for them. Uh, they need a goaltender to step up, and we'll yeah. see if Jesse McKay can do that. Uh, I think now that he's back and healthy, that'll help out the team um, you know uh, Carson Lambos on the back end is going to be a star yes he is yeah. he is he you can't help but notice him uh, and then um, I'm sure once Peyton Krebs comes back uh, he will be the PS de resistance for this team that will take them into the postseason and put the ice franchise into the postseason for the first time in five years and I think that's going to be huge to for for Winnipeg ice fans to actually see their team be in the playoffs for as long as that ends up being Well, thanks for this, and uh, have fun calling the games this weekend. Thank you, Christian. Look forward to it. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?